On today's show, are you one of those set it and forget it investors? Well, there are some reasons you may want to check in on things, how to know if there is too much risk in your portfolio. Plus, we've got five easy ways to teach young kids about finance, and it's getting better. A very special guest co-host making her debut on the podcast, and one of my favorite millennials, Tori Dunlap, from her first 100K. That and so much more coming up on this edition of Money with Friends. Welcome to Money with Friends. I am Bobby Rebel, host of the Financial Grown-Up Podcast, coming to you from my very grown-up kitchen in New York City. And I am Tori Dunlap, founder of Her First 100K, coming at you from Seattle. Woohoo! Getting up early, by the way. We are taping this early in the morning. We are going to be discussing those two headlines that I just mentioned to you in the open. We're going to use them as a foundation, as we do with all the headlines here on Money with Friends, for money insights and We're going to get very specific, especially today, about ways that we can all get better with money, and we're going to wrap it all up with one big idea to set us all up for success. And most of all, we do it with our friends. Not only do we have our regular money friend co-host, like we have Tori here, bringing fresh perspectives to the podcast. The show is taped in front of a live Facebook audience. Their comments are part of the show as well. For more information on how to be part of the audience, you can see our schedule on moneywithfriendspodcast.com. This episode of Money with Friends is sponsored by Tiller, your financial life in a spreadsheet automatically updated each day. Go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Tiller for a free trial and to support the show. And we thank you for that, by the way, everyone. Welcome, Tori. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're making your debut appearance on Money with Friends. We're so excited. I'm so excited. I listen to the show, and so it's nice to nice to hop on and, and say hi to everybody and say hi to you, Bobby. I know. Dreams do come true, everyone in the audience. <laughs> you could be in the hot seat just like Tori one day. <laughs> we're celebrating, exactly. by the way, this morning. I mean, we're kind of toasting with coffee. I actually forgot my coffee cup. I left it over there by the machine where I forgot to actually make the coffee yet because I was so <laughs> excited for today's show. But I want to congratulate you, Tori, because you are a finalist for um, a couple of big awards, um, Plutus Award uh nominations. I guess, well, you're also a finalist. You're not just nominated, you're a finalist, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. The Plutus Awards, for those who don't know, are like the personal finance Oscars. They're like the big the big awards for, for people in the personal finance media. So Bobby is also nominated. So congratulations to you as well. We have, we have lots, of, lots of things to celebrate yes. this morning. Well, for, and, and, and this podcast, I should say. So Money yeah. with Friends was nominated for Best New Personal Finance Podcast. Woo-woo-hoo. Yay. And then my other podcast, Financial Grown Up, was nominated for Best Investing Podcast, along with Stacking Benjamins with Joe. And um, I also want to give a shout out. Paula Pant was nominated for Afford Anything for that category. And then also Financial Grown Up was nominated for Best Podcast, Podcast of the Year. Oh, yay. Yay. I know. I feel like I'm, you know, when you're like the new kid on the block and you're like, I mean, the podcast is a year and a half old, I guess, but the other podcasts in that category, oh my gosh. That's how I feel about getting nominated in my categories. Because yeah. last year Wait, I was nominated for, oh gosh, uh, personal finance blog for women and best personal finance blog for millennials. And last year I was nominated for like one of like best new blog. Uh, I didn't win. I was just honored to be nominated, honored to be a finalist. And now it's like okay, we're getting we're getting up into the the bigger leagues now. So it's really cool to see everybody else. Honestly, like. myself being a finalist is awesome. But like having you having so many other especially women who I just love getting nominated, like that's my favorite thing. Yes, I will tell you, I just listened to uh, the Stacking Benjamins show 
that if you go listen to it, the most recent episode or one of the more recent ones will go over the nominations. The women really delivered this year. I think it's, yeah. it's, an, it's an overall, first of all, it's also an overall diverse group, which is great also, but especially the women um, really did very well. And I think there's a lot of recognition for women in podcasting and in blogs. And, and so thank you, Plutus Awards, for that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, before we get to our headlines, I want to give a quick uh, shout out to some of our audience members here on Facebook Live. We have a nice audience uh, as we tape this on a Friday morning. Kathy is here. Hey, Kathy. Arnold is here. Dylan is here. Kevin is here. Um, so thank you for joining us. And again, if you guys want to join us, you can join us at the Stacking Benjamins Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Benjamins. And with that, let's see which one of our money friends is going to lead us into our first headline. Hi, this is Andy from Derby, Vermont. We'll supply the coffee. They'll supply the headlines. That's why I listen to Money with Friends. All right, I got the first headline. It is from CNBC. Fed rate cut trade wars. How to know if you have too much risk in your portfolio. Changing Fed policy, looming trade wars add up to one thing, uncertainty. Here's how to make sure your portfolio is ready to weather market fluctuations. With the Federal Reserve shifting its stance on interest rates, and everyone remember that it did cut rates last week, and major issues like China trade and Brexit still up in the air, there are plenty of reasons for investors to feel uncertain. I'm sorry, I also did not mention the author. The author is Lori Kanish. Just take Wednesday, and it, it's referring to Wednesday, the day that the uh, Fed cut rates. After, federal, after the Federal Reserve announced its first interest rate cut in more than a decade, and subsequent comments by Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, the Dow Jones Industrial Average sank as much as 478 points before staging a recovery on Thursday. Um, now, these drops came after the Dow and the S&B had recently crossed record highs. The article goes on to say that that run-up may have tempted some individual investors to ratchet up their stock allocations, or if you had a set-it-and-forget-it approach, your portfolio could have drifted to higher risk exposure than you had originally intended. Charles Schwab's latest survey of retail investors shows a slightly bearish outlook for the U.S. stock market. The main reason? The political landscape. One-third of the retail clients surveyed said they expect an economic downturn within the next year. And this is an interesting quote from Michael Lersch, head of wealth planning and advice at J.P. Morgan Private Bank. Quote, what I'm seeing most is this feeling of inertia and overwhelm based on potential future possibilities. We're really encouraged client, we are really encouraging clients to focus on their own goals, what they can control. This means it may be time to rebalance or check to see that your investment mix still lines up with your goals. So let's just pause there briefly. Tori, what, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always risky to be in the stock market at all, right? And it's basically what we're implying here is you have to figure out what your level of risk is. Um, for me, as a 25-year-old woman, I can afford to be more risky. And most of my clients and most of the women I work with are in their 20s and 30s. So this may not affect them and myself as much as somebody who is older and getting closer and closer to retirement. That's an excellent point. And in fact, you almost read my mind because going ahead in the article, it says, if you're under 50 and do not have imminent plans to draw down the money, you can probably afford to take more equity risk. That is a quote from Christine Benz, Director of Personal Finance at Morningstar. It goes on to say, though, if you're approaching retirement and plan to use the money soon, it does make sense to move some of that stock exposure to the safe part of your portfolio. 
Um, and she goes on to say, quote, why not just harvest some of those gains and de-risk your portfolio at the same time? You have some peace of mind knowing that you that your near-term cash needs are there. A couple more things from the article that I do want to point out, though. It says, keep inflation and taxes in mind. So that's something important. If you are going to be selling, it will cost you in taxes, so make sure to set aside the money. Um, and you want to also keep an eye on interest rates and see how that affects things. Historically, inflation has been around 4%. So if you're expecting a 5% long-term return on bonds, they say that will limit how much room you have to spend. So everything is relative. And I think that's important to keep in mind because we are, we are going into a cycle where we don't know if the Fed will cut more. They've kind of been a little bit unclear about that. But it is important <laughs> to keep in mind that interest rates are still very low. And therefore, rates on fixed income are going to be low. So that impacts how much risk you may need to take, even if you don't want to take it. But those are all things to um, do. And then finally, the article goes into considering your alternatives, um, asking yourself if you're falling prey to common blind spots, such as wanting to invest more or timing the markets as they go up. Instead, start by articulating your goals, what you want to accomplish in your short, medium, and long-term time horizon. Then make sure your overall strategy and risk exposure is in line with that plan. And the gentleman from JP Morgan goes on to say, filling, filling that information based on your own circumstances is really critical to making the right financial decisions. And then the article goes on to say, it may sound counterintuitive, but sometimes the best course of action is to do nothing at all. Yeah, it's interesting. I went to um, my friend Erin, who runs Broke Millennial. She did a really great uh, investing course, basically investing workshop here in Seattle. It was about an hour and a half um, to promote her new book. And she talked about interviewing a uh, financial analyst in 2008 uh, when everything happened. You know, someone who works in finance, someone who manages other people's portfolios, she did not check her own for the entire year between 2008 and 2009. Like she just didn't look because she right. knew it was going to be so scary. So I am a fan of the set it and forget it approach personally because I don't want to stress about it. I don't want to watch it go up and down every day. Um, but I, again, have more time to think about this. I have more time to be a little bit riskier as opposed to somebody else who might not have that time. Right. And the risk is if you're checking on it all the time, by definition, you're almost always going to be making market time decisions because you're going to be seeing right. something going on. So it's very hard not to make that decision. So maybe, and, and you don't want to say ignore what's going on, quote, in the real world, because there are shifts in what industries dominate. I mean, if you had said it and forget it in 1970, you'd be <laughs> in some stocks that may not be the best bets right now. Now, of course, the major indexes, um, which is what index funds are often based on, and a lot of the index fund oriented ETFs, et cetera, those do adjust because the, the Dow changes, the S&P 500 changes, they mix out which stocks are in those. So that to some degree is at least adjusting for what's most relevant, I guess, in the times. You certainly can't say those are going to be the outperformers. You don't know, but it's certainly taking out companies that are underperforming or that go out of business or that merge, et cetera, and adjusting it for time. So to some degree that protects you Maybe it's just check in on a regular basis and don't worry about the news events as much. But clearly, there's, I mean, uh, the Schwab survey is saying one third of their retail clients said they expect an economic downturn within the year. And the main reason is political landscape. So right. people are paying attention. 
And there are, there can be things that do affect your investing, such as changes in the stock market. If there's a change, for example, in, in capital gains taxes versus dividends, you might want to make adjustments, but what you don't want to do is be doing knee-jerk reaction adjustments. Yeah. And Kevin has a great question in the comments. If you want to pull that up, Bobby. Absolutely. I did not see he's, that. Thanks for flagging it. Yeah. He's go. talking, when we're talking set it and forget it, is it mostly for index investing and not individual stocks? And I would probably say yes on that because uh, index investing, right? You're you're picking unsexy stable options, which for me I'm a big fan of, and that's what I that's what I tell my clients of like pick the things that are least sexy. Individual stocks tend to be sexier; they also tend to be riskier. So, if you are building a portfolio of largely individual stocks, inherently you're going to have more risk there, and so. Um, yeah, you probably need to be checking on it more frequently. And you also need to really understand what you're doing. And I think a lot of people don't. Uh, if you are invest largely or completely in individual stocks, you are taking on more risk and you need to be comfortable with that a level of risk. Right. There's definitely more homework involved if you invest in individual stocks. And Kevin goes on right. to say, for example, if an individual stock cuts its dividend, it can be a sign of danger on the horizon. Certainly, if anything happens like that, you should investigate why. There might be a, a reason that you like. Maybe they're taking on um, some investments. Maybe they're doing more R&D. You never know. But generally, that could often be true that a cutting a dividend is often you know, a sign of something happening. So it is important to pay attention and to remember that if that's if you want someone who's going to be checking on individual stocks, that's something that you can pay for when you buy a mutual fund. Mutual funds that are actively managed are more expensive for that reason because that manager, if they're doing their job, is checking in on all of those stocks and watching what's going on. So that's what you're paying for. And if that's something that you value and you want to pay for, that's a time to maybe be in an actively managed fund if that's something that you like. I think that's a great point. Let's do our takeaways. Yeah, I think mine is just understanding your level of risk. And uh, I like talking to you know people my age and people millennials who are millennials because I understand that audience really well, um, of just not panicking, of just understanding that you've got a long ways to go. And so even if we do have economic downturn in the next year or two, which we will eventually, um, just staying the course and making sure that, um, yeah, that you understand your own risk level. I like that. Own it, whatever you're doing. My takeaway is that there is nothing wrong with staying put, but make sure you do that on purpose, not because of inertia. I love it. You're up to cool. This is a story that you brought. Yeah. So this is from Forbes and Liz Frazier is the contributor. So the headline is, want to teach your young child about finance? Here are fine, five simple activities to get you started. So it goes on to say, growing up, most of us adults weren't talk, taught about finance. Money was considered taboo and it simply wasn't spoken of. Most Americans do not have enough save for retirement. Financial stress wreaks havoc on our marriages and our health. We're swimming in credit card debt. So who is going to teach our kids basically moving forward? Um, mentions that parents aren't, aren't teaching personal finance and schools aren't teaching it in a way they probably should. So it gives us five really actionable ways to talk about uh, money with our kids. And not only to talk about it, but to actually involve our children and involve you know future generations in getting comfortable with money. So the first tip they have is what they call a grocery store guessing game. It's basically like price is right. So next time you're at the grocery store cashier line with your child, take turns guessing the total cost of your food. Help them guess by estimating the cost of individual items and then whoever is closest gets a prize. It has the added bonus of distracting your child from the rows of candy that are conveniently placed at the checkout. 
The second one is to let them pay. So giving them the chance to interact with money uh, allows them to understand it better, right? So the, the author says, I'm a firm believer that young kids need to learn money by using cash and coins. Once they are older and understand the basics, digital apps and money can be a great de- teaching tool. But at a young age, digital money is too hypothetical. So obviously, most of us don't carry... It says $126.33 with us to pay out groceries. So it says it works best with small purchases like grabbing a coffee or a muffin at a coffee shop or going to a bookstore and buying a book. So small purchases, probably under $20. And then it asks... uh, or. uh, advises to have them pay the cashier in cash and then count the change back. It encourages good conversation as well, um, gets them comfortable with money basics, and then teaches them how to count money back. And I wonder how often the uh, cashier has made a mistake. Right. I mean, that happened to me even growing up, right? And and uh, learning how to respond to that in a in a positive way. Um, so yeah, pretend play, having a job is number three. Um, it's a great way to teach your child about working and earning money. So list out several jobs you think your child would like based on their interests and ask your child to pick one. Use jobs they're already familiar with through their own experiences like teacher, coach, doctor, or veterinarian, and then help them set up shop and brainstorm everything that they would do as part of this job. And then you want to explain to them how they will make money from this job. For instance, if it's being a vet, they will get paid each time a patient comes in. If it's a teacher, they'll get paid every other week via you know a paycheck. Um, so get pretend money and make it part of the experience. So you can set up an office. You can ask details about this job. Do they work indoors or outdoors? Do they work for themselves? Are they an entrepreneur or do they work for a company? Um, so it can lead to conversations about not only money, but... Uh, either in entrepreneurship or, you know, just the different kinds of jobs out there. Um, Number four is budgeting with a prepaid card. So um, this is, they mentioned a great activity to do before your own child starts earning money through an allowance or jobs is is to introduce middle school kind of thing. Right. Introduce the concept of budgeting. So next time you're on a trip with your child, a concert or amusement park, help them budget by purchasing a prepaid card for them. Um, they mentioned FamZoo. Have you heard of FamZoo, Bobby? Cool. Yeah. Geared towards kids and provides valuable money management tools as well. Teaches them that they have a limited amount of money so that they should make smart decisions with that money. Um, and then the fifth is to give them a job. Uh, you know, give them uh, a way that they can earn their more their own money, and they can practice saving and sharing and spending, and maybe even um, giving back in a charitable way as well. Um, so I just loved this list. Uh, I've talked about this on your show before, as well as Stacking Benjamins. But I was lucky enough to start my own business when I was nine. Um, so I owned fifteen vending machines by the time I graduated high school. All the profits went to my college fund. So I was writing a check when I was nine. I opened my first savings account when I was ten. So I just loved this article because the vending machine thing is rare, and I know that. But I I loved these like actionable tips around like don't just talk about money with kids. Don't just say like overspending on credit cards or is a bad idea. Like here's some actual ways you can, you can engage with your child or engage even maybe you have a younger sibling and engage with them in a really, really positive way. Well, and I think just the idea of interacting with money at a young age is always good. And the reality check of, of the first job, my first job, I remember it was um, at a bakery the first time I had a real paycheck and it was minimum wage and they even took taxes out of that. And it's right. (laughs) It's like, you got to be kidding me. I'm working for pennies. Um, And as everyone knows, we taped this in front of a live audience, and we've got some nice comments there. Arnold is chiming in. He says, my daughter loves to talk about saving money in her piggy bank. Next step, letting her know about how money can grow on top of savings in real banks. That's an excellent suggestion is is to start really talking about banks and how you can get different um, interest rates depending on which bank 
you choose. We've been talking about that on the show recently, that a lot of the brick and mortar banks do not pay as high interest rates as the online banks. So I, I have a feeling Arnold's daughter will be uh, looking at online banks because, <laughs> you know, she's young and cool and hip, I'm sure. And I love Dylan's comment too. have the kids play supermarket sweep. I would watch those. Oh my gosh. I would watch those all of the time. I, wa- I would sit in front of the TV even as a kid and watch all of those so- shopping shows. I remember like box of Cheez-Its and watching like supermarket sweep. And I, I loved that. Let's just explain <laughs> to people that may not know what supermarket sweep is because I mean, there's like a countdown clock. There's they, Well, you explain it. I, I'm trying to remember. It's been so long. And I watched like these different supermarket shows back to back to back after school. But it was basically like you have to race around a grocery store and find different items. It was basically different challenges of you would have to find an item that, you know, was was this certain amount of money. But of course, you didn't know actually how much it was. So yeah, it's like it's kind of prices right, but more high stakes. Exactly. And just a reminder, some of our audience members are asking where they can read this article. We put the links to these articles in our uh schedule, which is on the moneywithfriendspodcast.com website. So you just go to moneywithfriendspodcast.com and go to the schedule and you can look up either the date that the show is taped or the date that it is going live and you can get the links to the articles right there. Um, I think it's interesting also that um, the balance between using prepaid cards and also using cash because it's really about different right. age levels and different cognitive skills and development and what they can handle at different ages. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. I My parents actually don't have a debit card. They've never had a debit card. And so I actually don't have a debit card. That's like a controversial, crazy thing. But um, so I really didn't engage with any sort of like card for myself until I got my own credit card. So I think in a way that that would be really helpful of understanding and to their point in the article that you have a finite amount of resources, right? Once it's gone, it's gone. And you can do this with cash and you can also do this with a card. And to your point, it's like, it's the mental switch between cash is physical. You can see that once that's gone, it's gone. Whereas with a card, you could just swipe, you know, swipe that all day long, especially if it's a credit card, right? Mm So, um, using a debit card, using a prepaid card of just, this is the amount of money on here, I think could be really useful. Do you think that is changing as millennials get older, the resistance to credit cards? Because I feel that they saw the mistakes that my Gen X generation made with credit cards and getting into credit card debt. And there's been a pushback against credit cards, which is in general a good thing. But as you get older, there's a lot of value to having a credit card for example, right. obviously you need a good credit score to achieve a lot of life goals, but also just even points and miles if you're responsible with your credit card. Is that changing? I personally am a big fan of credit cards, but I've never carried a balance. And that's because I had a really great financial education growing up where I understood, okay, you can't spend money you don't have, even if a, a credit card company is allowing you to do that, right? You're going to go into to debt for that. And so um, I am getting in conversations with clients. I do get the, my parents were terrible with credit cards and it's this fear around credit cards. So I really try to educate and to debunk the fear of even if you don't feel like you want a credit card or if you don't want one right now, to your point, like we need to build credit. It's really great to use your credit card as a debit card so you can get cash back, so you can get miles, so you can get these things. Um, but we have to we have to curb the emotional fear before we can actually get you to be a smart credit card user. And I think a lot of that fear is because they saw their parents or even their grandparents make um, make poor decisions around credit cards. 
Let's take one more comment before we do our takeaways. And it is from... I love this one. Do you want to read it? Yeah. When our uh, two and a half year old wants something, we tell him how much it is and make him count it out and give us that many high fives. Just trying to get the counting down and the concept of a transaction. I love that. So he's two and a half. Yeah, he's two and a half. He's doing his, um, what is it? The mind-body connection of high-fiving, which is great. We're getting counting down. We're understanding numbers, right? And then also the concept of, of, of a transaction of money coming in, money coming out. I love that. Thank you, Dylan. All right, let's do our takeaways. Um, I will start. Uh, my takeaway from this is it's never too early to help kids feel empowered and positive about money. I love that. Mine is that um, you can't just talk about money and you can't just talk about being good with money as a parent. You have to really walk the walk as well. You can't just talk the talk. So these are some great strategies about how you can educate your kids through doing. Yes. And on that note, one thing that we should all be doing is tracking our money, Tori. And for that, uh, one great resource is our sponsor, Tiller, because Money with Friends is brought to you by Tiller. It is 10 times faster in a spreadsheet with Tiller if you want to manage your money. It is the only service, Tori, that connects your banks to Google Sheets and Excel with your daily spending, transactions, and balances. Unlike financial apps that force you to compromise, spreadsheets are fully customizable for all of your needs. Tiller makes them even better with an automatic daily feed of your spending balances and transactions. Tiller eliminates data entry, multiple account logins, and CSV files. Simply connect your banks once to see your transactions automatically updated each day. Basically, once it's set, you don't have to do anything else, which I love because I'm really busy. Go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Tiller for more information and a free trial. And a reminder that that link, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Tiller, is on the Stacking Benjamins website because Money with Friends is part of the Stacking Benjamins family of podcasts. And by the way, uh, you can also learn more about our podcast. I'm saying it once again because I keep messing it up at the Money with Friends podcast. I'm sorry, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. <laughs> Someday I'll get it. I don't know. I love your shame. We're trying a shameless plug and even we can't. I can't even do it. All right, let me try to shameless <laughs> plug our socials. Our socials are growing. We're working really hard on our socials. So we have, we made them the same on Instagram and Twitter so that we could remember them. We're trying to really make this easy for us because we're a little older than you, Tori. We're Gen Xers. <laughs> our, our handles are at Money Friends Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. So please follow us because we're trying to grow our following. We also have a YouTube channel that you can follow us on youtube.com forward slash money with friends. And uh, that's moving along pretty slowly, but we're, we're trying basically to... Uh, grow a YouTube channel as well. Our Facebook, by the way, is going to stay. Our Facebook presence will stay right here on the Stacking Benjamins Facebook page where we tape the podcast live. So come visit us there. Time for the big idea. Awesome. Do you want to go first? I'm going to go first because I'm going to give you the last word on that. Here is what I think is the big idea from today's show. In the great words of the legendary Janet Jackson. (laughs) this is all about control control Tori control you can leave your money in the same investment but that is only okay if you are checking in on it and it is still the best investment not checking constantly but a realistic amount no need to change just for the sake of it and when it comes to teaching your kids about money I love the strategies that give them control I'm always amazed at how the push to get a new whatever 
gets a little less intense if we tell a kid that they're paying for part of it and can completely disappear if it is going to mean their entire stash of money is going bye-bye. Giving them control is everything. Stay in control. I love that. Mine's going to kind of piggyback off of that. Uh, Money is emotional, both good and bad, right? So if we have something great that happens to us, maybe we get a promotion or uh, maybe we get nominated for a Plutus Award, we go out and celebrate, right? We maybe spend a little money to go out with friends or have a nice dinner at home. We also end up spending money uh, for negative emotions when we have a bad day at work, uh, when just something happens in our lives, and we end up emotionally spending both good and bad. And I would say the same kind of emotional uh, mindset kicks in when you're trying to manage your investments and when you're looking at, you know, that really scary stock ticker just you know, red and the down arrow, it's really easy to make emotionally uh, charged impulse decisions. The same thing with teaching your kids about money, right? It's very easy. It's going to be very easy for them as they are learning how to manage their own emotions to make emotional purchases because they don't understand fully how to how to manage their emotions and and understand and have the emotional t- intelligence to do that. So I would just keep in mind that that really the mindset around money is the most important part about any of this whether it's investing, you know, education for your children, it's it's understanding that that there's going to be really awesome times in your life where you want to spend money and that feels worth it. And there's also going to be times where you end up spending money that you might regret later, but it all comes down to do you have your mindset correct? Do you have your mindset right going into those purchases? I love that. Very well said. Excellent last word. Before we let you go though, Tori, I do want to hear what's going on at her first 100K besides being a finalist for all of the awards. <laughs> I am now, I mean, as of this taping, I am 5K away from my 100K. So I'm getting so close. So the goal is to save $100,000 at 25. So the joke is, is, as long as I do it the day before I turn 26, it still counts. So I'm getting really, really close. I am 25. I will be 26 in July of next year. So I have like a whole 11 months to go, which is awesome. Oh, you um, I've got it. Assuming we don't have, yeah. I'm like knocking on wood here. Everything everything should work out just fine. Um, but I'm really committed. I think I was put on this earth to fight for women's financial rights. And so I am hosting different workshops virtually live, including one about negotiating uh, your salary offer. Um, and that's happening August 7th. And then uh, a budgeting savings workshop, which is kind of my signature one. So I do coaching. I do workshops for women in their 20s and 30s millennials. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see you stop by. I have a super active presence on Instagram. Instagram um, at herfirst100k.com and or 100k.com is uh, the website and then at herfirst100k on Instagram and Twitter and all the platforms. Definitely follow Tori, but especially on Instagram. Um, she will make you smile. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. And thank you so much for being on the show with us. This was an amazing, amazing show with you. Thank you. This was so much fun. I want to I want to come back again soon. This was great. All right. With that, goodbye, everyone. Everyone, go be grownups, as we like to say, and go make 100K, right? That's the plan. Bye. <laughs> this show is created and hosted by Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Our engineer is the amazing Steve Stewart. And for a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. 
You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with a real episode of Money with Friends.